The following is an original audio series from Sierra International Machinery, Pile of Scrap, with your host, John Sacco. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pile of Scrap, coming from Austin, Texas, at the home of none other, Jason Shanker. You almost killed me at lunch with the brontosaurus ribs, and I was in a food coma up until about five minutes ago. Well, Well, good. Well, you know, welcome to Austin, right? I mean, you know, we got to feed you right when we get here. And I I have much appreciation for good food, being Italian that I am. But boy, you know, you don't get barbecue like this in Bakersfield, and uh, that's great. But it's great to be here, Jay. You know, we we got we you know we. Last podcast on February 14th, Valentine's Day, right before the war. Yep. And boy, so much has transpired. And then we're coming today, we're doing this podcast on a big day in the in yep. markets, the Fed's decisions on rate hikes. Jay, take it from here. Yeah, so here we are on May 4th, and there's been a Fed decision just shortly before we started talking. Fed made the biggest rate hike since 2000, a 50 basis point increase, so 0.5% increase on interest rates. And they're also reducing the size of their balance sheet, which means they're going to be buying fewer treasuries and mortgage-backed securities and allowing the things they own to turn back into cash and the cash to kind of go back into the ether from which it came. (laughs) Those are important things because those things make interest rates go up. That means the cost of money is going up. And the Fed, of course, is not done raising rates. And even though in the Fed press conference, Fed Chair Powell said that they're not looking at a 75 basis point increase, so 0.75, they're looking at 50 basis points, though, at the next couple of meetings. They're still looking at more interest rate hikes. That means the cost of money, even though now it's quite a bit higher than it was just a few months ago, it's going higher still. Okay, so last week we had a negative GDP and we're still getting rate hikes in an aggressive way, if you will. Yeah. Now, the market, the equity markets, this morning were down fairly big, NASDAQ especially. And right before we started this podcast, NASDAQ was up 285 from being down 170. So the market is taking this as it's not going to be that bad or the confidence in the economy. What's the market? How does when you see this reaction, what is it saying? Yeah, I think there are two pieces, right? Because I think there were concerns about how far the Fed was going to go with their rate hikes. What would be the things that the Fed chair would signal in his press conference after that decision? And we didn't know because there was a blackout period before every Fed decision. And that blackout period overlapped with a negative GDP report. Minus 1.4% is not a small drop, right? That's a significant drop in GDP. A lot of that was caused by a massive decline in net exports. And of course, the dollar's gone up since the end of Q1. So stronger dollar means we could see net exports drop again in Q2. And what that means is four parts of GDP, consumption, investment, net exports and government spending. In Q1, consumption, which is services and goods, services, very strong. We think services is going to be strong going forward. Think about all the return to normalcy or somewhat normalcy, right? Like after COVID, more travel, more services consumption, restaurants, right? These kinds of things. We think there's going to be good services consumption. Goods consumption, though, in Q1 went down a little bit. Investment, That was positive in Q1, but inventories went down. That that was actually negative in Q1. 
government spending was negative in Q1. And net exports, we saw a big rise in imports, which detracts from GDP. And we saw a big drop in exports, which also detracts from GDP. So there was negative 3.2 percentage points taken off of GDP from net exports. And a stronger dollar, you know it better than anybody, what does a stronger dollar do? That makes imports cheaper in dollar sure. terms, and it makes it more expensive to try to export. So interesting with, with um, negative GDP. Yep. We talked before it. Yep. You thought that the dollar would weaken. The dollar actually strengthened, and the feds came out with a rate hike today. The dollar weakened. So it, it's kind of like this. Is great. So, so let's look. We're a Recyclers podcast. Right. How did it affect the metal? What, what, what did you see happen with uh, the metal markets? So we see some support in the metals markets now after the press conference. So I think the way to think about what happened with the Fed decision in sort of a few different time windows, right? There's this weak GDP report. No one knows what the Fed's going to do. Before the GDP report, the Fed was talking about very aggressive moves, front-loading rate hikes. There, were some, there was some discussion that maybe 75 basis point rate hikes could happen. That was not the majority of Fed folks talking about that. That idea was put out there. There were concerns. No one knew what the Fed's response to the GDP report was because they were under blackout. So we get the decision, and the decision is 50 basis point rate increase, and now they're going to be reducing their holdings. For three months, it's going to be very modest reductions in mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. And then three months from now, it will double the amount that they're reducing every month in mortgage and treasury holdings. And the effect holdings. on metals will be? Well, it, th this is sort of phase two of the response. Is This, is, th this was kind of choppy immediately after that release. It's only after we get the press conference where Powell puts the kibosh on the 75 basis points and says, don't worry about that. That's not we're not actively discussing that because the economy is not booming as much as they as it could have been or I think or it's, they I, thought it might be. Let's I think it it's more that they're being actually a bit more cautious by taking 75 basis points off because it's just that's just a monster rate hike. So I think there's some confidence in two parts that one, actually, because the Fed went forward today, ironically enough, they're actually more confident in the economy because the Fed is signaling we're not worried about that negative GDP report. We think that investment looks good, which fixed investment did, uh, which would be fixed investment is sort of thinking about structures and thinking about other kinds of business investment, excluding inventories. And services consumption is really good. And so the Fed, even today in, in the remarks, you can see it in the Fed statement, they're focused on those things are good. Don't worry about the inventory swings and don't worry about the trade stuff. Services consumption is good. Fixed investment is good. And so the, the implication is we raised rates because we still think growth is strong. And so that's perceived as positive. And then on top of that, the Fed chair says 75 basis points is not actively being discussed. We're not crazy, right? Like that's what it's, I mean, he didn't say those words, but so that's, calm that's thing, what it's calm, implying. A little calmer. So it calms. And then what happens is equities go up, metals go up, dollar goes down. Because now it's, okay, growth is good. We're not going to go crazy fast with rate hikes, but more is coming. So let, let's, there's two things here. Uh, new steel still yep. up in the United States. Yep. Scrap iron prices, metal prices this month, May, dropped dramatically. Yep. Gave back everything it went up the months before. 
it could have been it moved too fast, too high because the war, since last time we talked, there was the war broke out, you know, things went crazy. Yep. So things are starting to settle back down. The war is becoming normal, which is a crazy thing to say. So do you think this is what we're seeing is, is, is things are getting back to work now? We're not used to the war. Okay. Instead of because the war, we didn't know everything spikes because there could be real shortage. What's going on? there? I think it's a mix of dynamics because not every market's the same, right? We look at European natural gas. It's a very different story than copper. We look at copper. That's a wildly different story than aluminum. And when we look at aluminum, oh, that's not the same story as what we see with nickel, right? So, and, and, and none of those are the same stories what we see with the platinum group metals or precious metals, right? Everything is doing something kind of different right now. The biggest thing I think is not related to the Fed. It's the COVID zero shutdowns in China. That because China is really fighting to to keep COVID cases at zero, and yet they have ineffective vaccines there, and they've had no community spread because they want cases at zero, the, the, the impact on their economy, it's like they're getting COVID for the first time. And that is what's caused some of the major downward drop in steel prices and aluminum in the last 30 plus days. Now, the big drop, I think, in precious and in platinum group metals, PGMs, over the last month, I think, is the dollar strength. Because even if the dollar's down a little bit today, it's up a lot more than it was at sure. the end of Q1. Well, the euro, you know, is at, it's under a dollar six, and a few months ago, it was a dollar ten, dollar eleven. And yeah. so that's a dramatic change. So China, we know, is in kind of a shutdown mode. Yep. And and their PMI is contracting. The Chinese Saishin manufacturing PMI has weakened. It is now the weakest since February of 2020. And is that due to the COVID or is that? Yeah, okay, that's the so, COVID shutdown. So eventually China is going to go, ah, we got, we're going to. And they're going to kick back up at some point. And that's going to create a spike. That will probably cause aluminum and steel price to go up. And the signal I look at for that is if you look at copper prices. Copper prices have been choppy for a number of months. They haven't collapsed in the last 30 days the way aluminum or steel prices have. Aluminum especially, major drop off in the last 30 days. Why not copper? Well, I think this is really tied to China's consumption of aluminum, China's consumption of steel, and that when China turns around, you see some significant upside risks to aluminum and steel prices. Nickel. Nickel, when we did our podcast, you predicted would go nuts in it. It went so nutty, they shut down the trading. Yep. They canceled trades even on the LME. Yeah. Yep. That, which is a first, isn't it? Uh, they've had issues with tin back in the 70s. I don't think they... Well, that's I, a long time I, right, ago. It's a long time ago, and I don't think they, they, they've ever canceled nickel contracts, to my knowledge. Okay, so what's going on with nickel? What are we, what are we looking at with that? And why did it go spike so much? Is it because of Russia, the war? What's the reality here? Yeah, I think the reality here is tied to Russia. Russia's a key source of nickel demand. Concerns about shortages. You did have a short squeeze in the marketplace. Uh, prices, since the those trades were halted, and canceled uh they've been trading in uh more moderate levels compared to the all-time record high right near the you know near the fifty thousand dollar level and then up towards the hundred thousand dollar level when it was trades were stopped and canceled you know we've been in sort of that 30 to 30 to forty thousand dollar range now um for a little bit 
I still think, though, the concern about supply could remain an issue. We see in Europe the natural gas impact, where natural gas prices moved almost sevenfold higher for natural gas prices in Europe. Now, they've come back a little bit from some of that 7x, but they're they're still up many, many multiples well, the, of where the, they the, were before. The energy issue in the world, I mean, look, you know, we are a recycler as well, right? So we have a, yeah. a fleet of trucks. In a month, our, um, our, our, our fuel costs doubled. Yeah. So our expenses are so everybody in the industry, we're seeing an increase in costs across the board, labor cost, operational cost, equipment cost. You know, it, it, it's getting expensive. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's happening everywhere, right? That inflation is hitting every industry. It's hitting every kind of cost. Fuel prices probably not going to go down a lot from here. Oil prices, unlike. Aluminum, copper, nickel, lead, zinc, tin, steel, they haven't been at or near record all-time prices lately, right? So you look at WTI prices, and you're like, oh, 100, 110 bucks a barrel, that's high. Yeah, but it's not the record high. So do you think we're going to record highs? <laughs> I think that we have a bit more spare capacity on the oil side. And the reason so I say that... So that will keep it from really I, going. That's right. I don't think we go back up to the 150 level in the next 12 months. And, and part of that is a couple factors, but one of the big one is... We look at consumption, you look at the numbers from February, the most recent numbers out from the International Energy Forum. Demand is now like 99% of what it was before COVID. Production is 97% of what it was before COVID. But inventories are down. I do think prices are potentially going to go higher this summer. We could see times where it's choppy. I don't think that's Russia. I think that's the U.S. summer driving season. And then people end up flocking back to travel with reckless abandon. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, Is I'm that on kidding. the highways, the recklessness? The, the, well, I, <laughs> I just think in general that, that folks are just going to be out there everywhere, driving, flying, everything, everywhere, everybody. All right. So before we sit down and talk today, you know, we're going over a few subjects here. But what really scares you the most of anything that's not the rate hikes, it's the emerging market risk with the global debt crisis. Yep. This is what's got you a little unnerved, if you will. Yeah. Tell us more. Yeah. So there are different kinds of economies. There are advanced economies like the United States, and then there are emerging markets, then there are low income developing countries. And those countries, both emerging markets and low income developing countries, they have much lower levels of real per capita GDP. They're poorer countries. They're developing. For those countries, the increase in energy prices because of the Russian war in Ukraine and other dynamics, and the increase in grain prices, which has largely been engendered by the Russian war in Ukraine, that's a much bigger impact, right? Like, we're unhappy that food's more expensive. We're unhappy that fuel is more expensive. In emerging markets or low-income countries, that's a really big problem. And for those countries, they also, every country in the world almost, took on a lot more debt during the COVID period to keep their economy going. In the United States, we talk about equity markets, you know, being up a little bit today. My gosh, we look at where equity markets have been the last 24 months. It's unbelievable yeah, how much they are. they're higher than they are today. So right. give, us, uh, give us some of these countries that are going to be struggling to pay their debt. And when that happens, give us the domino effect, Jason, because yeah. this, this is what's got you scared. So give us a few countries that you see are at risk right now with with all these with the inflation rising cost and not being able to pay their debt. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, it's not one or two. The IMF is concerned. There's something like sixty 
countries that could be at risk of this. To give, give you an idea. Some, give me some names right, of countries. So we're thinking like emerging countries in Africa, in okay. Latin America, in Asia, right? Okay. So outside Excellent. the G20. Okay. So if it's in Western Europe, it's the United States, it's Canada. Got it. It's not on the list, right? So, uh, but there are, you know, and, and to give you some idea, I think the UN has like 193-ish members. So to say 60 countries have emerging market debt problems right now, that's a large percentage. And so so here's the thing with the debt issue. Everybody took on more debt, but our equities and our home prices went up. That didn't happen in some of the poor countries. All they got was more debt. And now interest rates are going up. And we're concerned about 50 basis points today and what the other things are going to mean. But when we go up 50 basis points, Emerging markets are much riskier. There's, their debt goes up a lot more. So now imagine you've got 60 countries with way more debt than they've ever had before. Their interest rates are going up. They are way more exposed to higher grain prices and energy prices. And what happens if they can't pay their debts? Well, now you end up with debt defaults. And if you have emerging market countries default on their debts, and then that spills over into other financial markets, that spills over into global debt markets, because 60 countries, not a small number, and now you end up with a global sovereign debt crisis where Who, country what banks, debt's a What banks, you know, what lending institutions are at the greatest risk right now? Is it just everybody or who yes. country-wise, nationwide? You know, is it European banks? Is it American banks, Asian banks? Is it just, it's everybody? Almost all major lending institutions have sovereign debt risk. So you're talking who's the about- one, who's, the, who's, who's I, the one you don't want to talk? I, I don't want to name names on, on individual okay. specific banks. Fair but, enough. But there's also not a real reason to, because if you can name a major bank on a public exchange, they've got, they've got emerging market sovereign debt. And if this goes wrong, that spills over into the debt they issue, not just maybe in emerging markets, but what about us? We've got 30 trillion in debt. We need to refinance our interest rates going up on that debt. What happens if a bunch of other countries default on their debt? Well, then the risk that we could do that goes up maybe as well. Even though we're, you know, we, we had a wealth effect and our equities are worth more and our real estate's worth more, suddenly there's contagion risk. And now all kinds of debt sees a higher risk price. Two costs to any kind of debt. Think of it like a business credit score, right? Same thing. There's the risk-free rate of interest, and then there's your company has a risk profile, right? This is like LIBOR plus when you right, have a debt right. covenant, right? And so, or, or SOFR, which has replaced the LIBOR. There's that risk-free rate. Well, if every country is now at risk of sovereign debt crisis, even if the Fed doesn't raise the rates, uh, that risk-free part is suddenly a lot riskier because you now have a risk of sovereign debt problems. Okay, so, so now the Fed's... We're looking at the U.S. market, and the Feds obviously are looking at the U.S. market first. But they also know, or do they not know, or not care, or how is their decision making and raising rates? Because they know you crush emerging markets, you're going to hurt a lot of the institutions in America. Right. That's so, right. So, so and, how and much right. is their decision making going into looking at the world now? Because it isn't just U.S. It's the world. Right, that's right. So this is the thing. The Fed is aware. Fed members know this. The Bretton, I'm a member of the Bretton Woods Committee. These are post these are institutions that were formed at the end of the Second World War to prevent another Great Depression. And a lot of what the, the IMF and the World Bank were created to do is to increase debt transparency to prevent exactly the kind of crisis we're talking about. And the reason you'd say, but Jason, the IMF and the World Bank are there. What's the risk? China owns 70% of the emerging market debt. And we don't know the terms of all those debts. And because we don't know what the terms are, 
it's very difficult to help countries refinance their debt if you don't know what they owe and how they owe it. So this is a really big problem because you have a lack of transparency. This is all tied into Cold War II because China now has issued a lot of the debt. And these countries are under lots of different pressure, and it could blow back on the U.S. Now, what's the Fed thinking? The Fed has a dual mandate to look at two things, two things only. Stable prices. Right now, that's not true, right? 8.5% inflation. That's what we had in March. That's a lot of inflation. And full employment. The March unemployment rate was 3.6%. The expectation for the April number is it'll be 35 The Before COVID, the unemployment rate was 35 So okay. we are very close to back there. And so when the Fed looks at those two things, they go, we got to raise rates. Their mandate does not include GDP. Their mandate does not include equities. Their mandate does not include the dollar. Their mandate does not include home prices. And their mandate does not include emerging market debt. They know those risks are out there. They know these risks are rising. That's not their job. Their job is full employment and stable prices. Okay, let's talk about employment. So many of us talk uh, amongst each other in our industry, how it's very difficult to find drivers, to find welders. We talked about this in our last podcast. And the Help Wanted online, uh, you, I think it was, what, 6 million more jobs available? 16. There are 16 uh, I knew million. There was a six in there. 16 million more jobs than there are people right now. And that's still true them. today. That is true. The most recent numbers, it's around 16 million. And that's crazy, right? Because... That means the economy's just been really strong. And it makes sense. Again, you look at the equity markets and what they've done in the last two years. You look at home prices. Everyone, you know, everyone's net worth, almost everyone in the entire country is making more money or has a higher net worth than they did two years ago. And that means companies want to spend money to make more money. But everyone's spending. And that's driving up inflation. And then there's that's also driving up wages because you just don't have enough people. We don't. You know, when I say we, our industry, it's been an issue. I mean, anybody, we just came out of uh, the ISRI convention at the end of March in Las Vegas, which was a great convention. Great to see everybody, by the way. Everybody said the same thing. Yep. They're struggling to add people to add to their growth. Yep. Headcount's very tough right now. And, and that's every industry. Industrial industries are having a particularly difficult problem. The reason... These were essential industries. Scrap metal recycling, manufacturing are essential industries. They did not shut down during COVID. So that means they were blowing and going the whole time during when, when other industries like restaurants or hotels or airlines were hit. Essential industries kept going. Well, now they're trying to hire more people. And, it, and uh, you know, there's just after going this long, this strong, it's, it's tough to find those additional folks. Yeah, in... in... Look, everybody's paying more to try to attract, and, um, you know, like I say, everybody's costs are going up. Margins are down. I'm going to tell you, no matter as, as good as the revenues have been and arise yep. because of your commodities, margins are down yep. just because the cost of operations yep. ha has not come down. And, uh, but everybody knows that. The terrifying other part of that is wages are up, and they're up a lot, and that adds to cost. Wages are up 5% year-on-year in Q1. But inflation was up 8% in Q1. So for consumers, in They're real wages, 3%. you actually saw a 3% drop in their real wage in Q1, right? Because their wages went up 5 but their costs went up 8 And that's already putting pressure on margin. This is why it's important for the Fed to get that inflation piece under control. I, I was at a restaurant uh, last weekend with my wife, 
and the, the waiter says they were planning on going on a trip this summer, but they're going to put it off because a road trip because of fuel prices. And I will, I will, I will see your uh, example, and I will raise you one. Excellent. Three days ago, I was talking to my brother-in-law, and he was looking kind of in the third week of June to take a trip to Vegas for a couple of days. Nonstop flight, Dallas to Vegas, very normal, on Southwest, $593 at seven weeks from now, each way. So almost $1,200 for like a two-hour flight on Southwest round trip. That's unheard of. That's normally like a $90 flight. Like you're booking seven weeks out, right? That's... That's going to put, I think, a lot of pressure on some people's travel plans, but some people are still going to pay for it because, you know, they waited for the, the masks uh, mandates on flights to be lifted. And that's it. We told the kids we were going to take and it did. We told grandma and grandpa we were going to come visit as soon as we didn't have to wear masks on a plane. We were going to go. And so now you see just demand that's just out of the woodwork demand. Yeah, Hotels, the airline everything. industry is just not prepared for the, the explosion of travel. Not at all. When, when, when we first started traveling, once in, in COVID, you know, once airlines started traveling, you start seeing a little bit of business travel. Then you start seeing the family travel, the vacation travel come back a little bit. But full-blown, everybody getting out there, it's scary. Oh, yeah. We're going to the BIR uh, here at the end of uh, this month. I got to tell you, I am dreading going to LAX. I am dreading the whole process of going to a foreign country and then coming back and what that's going to entail. I, I, I'm not, I'm just, uh. Yeah, I, I'm going next month. I've got a talk in, in Banff and then I have a talk in Seoul in Korea. Uh, but this month I'm not doing anything international yet. But I'll tell you, the planes are full, folks are flying. And, you know, you look out, I mean, think about the commodities roundtable in the fall or think about next year's. Isri Convention, you know, book your flights now because it, <laughs> prices, yeah. they're moving up at, at levels. Now. I mean, gosh, when my brother-in-law was looking at this flight, it's just a little flight to Vegas, $1,200 round trip. That's like a Europe ticket, right? Yeah, sure. Like, that's, that's, what a, it, that's what it used to be to be able to go to Los Angeles <laughs> to Milano was $1,200. I told him, I'm like, look at trips to Macau instead. You know, you're going to spend that much to go to a casino, right? That That's... Yeah, that's uh, prices so, are up. Okay, so we, you know, we we've kind of pa you've painted this picture for us. You know, everything's yep. up. Things are, you know, there there might be the positives of the Fed may not go super crazy on the rate hikes, and that there's confidence in the economy. Let's talk about outside of that. What is what do you see in the economy or different things that you that have happened post pat or well, some people say we're not we're still in the pandemic. What do you see that's positive that's happening in the economy that wasn't happening before? I, I do think it's the services piece and the travel piece. That's why services we talked about. We started by talking about Q1 GDP and there were there were negatives all over. Right. There was a negative draw in inventory, negative net exports, negative government spending, negative goods consumption. Really big number services consumption. That's looking really good right now. Again, thinking travel and all those other things that were under pressure during COVID, the demand is just surging. The question is, are the people there for that either? And the answer is no, right? Because you look at, I mean, gosh, lately I've been at hotels where I've, I've I mean, it's the, it's the service. It's never You don't get so daily turndown service or, <laughs> oh. or and, and restaurants. 
show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've never paid so much for such little service, <laughs> Paid right? so much but... and got so little. So if you're a high school senior and you're thinking about going to college or you're a college senior, you're graduating uh, here this month in May, some in June, what industries are you? would you recommend these kids to look into? That's different than yeah. the, the the traditional tech world, or is that still the play? Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple things. I mean, if you're coming out of high school right now, there's a couple different paths, right? I think path one, I think the trades are just so hot right now. Uh, you've got you've got ads in Austin here uh, for I think HVAC tech starting salaries a hundred grand. Plumbing I think starts at seventy within two three years you're at a hundred grand. And you can go right into those programs, which aren't very long, at 18 and, and come out. And that's that those those are big numbers. Okay. And that's, again, in, that's in Austin. We've had the hottest number one job market in the country. Well, you you've are, had a big You growth. are sitting this, right this here in the number one job market in the entire country. No wonder the seat's hot. I, I thought I was it. on the hot that's, seat. No, it's no, the no, hot that's, of Austin, baby. That's it. That's I it. Love and, it. But that's that's what it does to wages. Um, if, I'm, if I'm talking to somebody... You know, who's 18, I mean, I would t this is such a hot job market that if there's a way to get a good paying job right now, I, I would probably try to jump into it. I would still do education on the side. And today, online education opportunities are bigger than they've ever been before. I, I did my third master's degree online between 2014 and 2016. That's, all, that's eight years ago. I never went to the campus. I did an entire master's online. And it was, it was good. My wife, she's doing her MBA at Rice. She's been to the campus once for like two days in the entire year and a half she's been going so far. Far. So that doesn't mean you aren't going to do the education that might pay out, but maybe, maybe you want to try to do both. And if you're coming out of college right now, I would tell you this is the potentially the hottest job market we've ever seen in the United States. We look at jobless claims. Recently, jobless claims were around 166,000. Those were initial claims. People lost their job in a week. That's the second lowest number on record we have. The lowest number was in November of 1968, the month Nixon was elected president. So, like, it's been a minute, as the kids say, since, and by the way, the labor market's increased 108% since then. So no one's losing their jobs. And in fact, the labor market is now twice as big as the last time that the job losses were this low. So this is potentially the best job market in U.S. history. What sectors? Twofold. What sectors you like? Give me a second. Everywhere. I mean, manufacturing's been very strong. You know, hey, how about recycling? the recycling you industry? Hire, right. Recycling, anything industrial, manufacturing, recycling, supply chain. Logistics, manufacturing, uh, warehousing, anything in the physical economy, super hot, right? And you know it, recycling, manufacturing, all of it, anything in the physical supply chain world, anything that gets goods to market, crazy hot. Services, those are really good. Those jobs historically, if we're excluding sort of tech and professional services, they don't pay as well as jobs in manufacturing and logistics and supply chain and recycling, right? We look at I think Motel jobs. 6 rates are going to go to like $500 and be four seasons rates of two years ago, you know? I mean, I was, I was joking this February when I saw you. I probably made this joke. Uh, I know I did when I met with some other, um, <laughs> other folks on the West Coast. And I said, look, you know, this summer you might be looking at red roof in prices that are hundreds and hundreds of dollars yeah. a night and that's you just can't get people right and so this this competition of the labor force where there's 16 million more jobs than there are people right now and and that's what the payrolls reflect 
There's also a lot of folks who've discovered other ways to make money other than being on payrolls. Think about the gig economy. Like in 2001, I came out of grad school for the first time. I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear with a master's degree in Germanic languages and literature that I came out of grad school into a recession and couldn't get a job. I know you're shocked to hear that. But I ended up, right, I ended up waiting <laughs> tables. It was 2001. And, you know, it, it, it paid the bills. And it was, it was a good job. It was honest work. Now, today, would I do that? No, I'd probably be like driving for Uber or DoorDash or Favor or TaskRabbit or whatever. And I'd probably be trying to make my dog a dog fluent. Two of the things you just said. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right. Like, but that's but the, the thing. Good news, be, but I'd the be, good news is for those, look, for those who don't have work, there's other ways to make money today that there weren't before. And people even, and by the way, the thing is, this is the thing. Those jobs I would do today versus 2001, when you wait tables or on payrolls, you show up in the government numbers. If you're working for Uber, TaskRabbit, Favorite, like whatever, or you're an influencer at home, or you're busy trying to make your dog a dog fluencer, like whatever, like that, that's Little not going to show he up. He might be the Little next Wayne. superstar. Or Mr. O's. Well, Mr. Right? O's, I, mean, I like Mr. They're, O's. They're, right, they're working dogs. The AKC <laughs> wouldn't agree, but we think they're working dogs. And, you know, with Instagram, we could, you know, but they're not going to show up as W-2s, right? They're not going to show up on payroll. They're going to show up as 1099s, right? So. Yes. You know, put Little Wayne to work. You know, no, I, I, mean, I think I need to. I mean, he he should already have his SAG card from from doing that Godfather bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> although uh, most people said the Godfather uh, commercial we did before convention was the single greatest commercial for the recycling industry of all time. Well, and that that might be because Little Wayne was in it. I but, think it know, had like... to do with it. I had everything to do. All right, Jay, listen. <laughs> unbelievable the timing of this podcast i appreciate you i love being here in austin i love being here at your home thank you so much for your time your insight i mean it's incredible and i think anybody who listens to pile scrap you gotta listen to jason because he knows what he's talking about and you have such a great command and you really do know what's going to happen next of course things happen that none of us can you know imagine but this is a great episode thank you big jay Thank you, John. It's, uh, great, it's great to have you here, and you know, I'd love to have you back here. I'm Anytime coming you back. Want. I like awesome. it. I like it. All right, everybody. Well, that's it for another episode of Pile of Scrap. There you go. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. This has been a Sierra International Machinery original audio series. Thanks for listening. Please share this podcast and make sure to subscribe.